Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm Brian Sussman. This is The Brian Sussman Show. Wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, please take a moment just to subscribe, like, share. I would really appreciate that. We're going to talk about free speech. We're going to talk about the cancel culture. We're going to talk about one of the most cherished rights we have in America, and that is freedom of speech. I'm going to start with three laws from three different countries. And then I'll tell you which country is associated with which law. Okay, so here we go. First off, everyone shall be guaranteed freedom of speech and thought. Second one, citizens are guaranteed freedom of speech, the press, assembly, demonstration, and association. Third, Everyone has the right to express and disseminate his or her thoughts and opinions by speech, in writing, or in pictures, and through other media, individually or collectively. Okay, now those all sound like principled, robust guarantees of free speech until you find out that these are the promises of, in order, Russia, North Korea, and Turkey. These are countries with nightmarish records when it comes to upholding human rights. I'll just read the second one. When I think of North, Carol uh, North Korea, that is such an oppressive society. Free speech is the farthest thing from anyone's mind there. They have no idea what free speech is because there is none. But, but the law says this. Citizens are guaranteed freedom of speech, the press, assembly, demonstration, and association. It's the cancel cancer. It's the cancel culture on steroids. It's a cancer. North Korea, if you say anything that is even perceived as going against the grain of the regime, you're not just shut down. You're shut away. You're in prison. You could actually... Be executed for something like that. Here's the deal. Good free speech laws like they have in those countries. Russia, by the way, was the first. Then North Korea, then Turkey. Uh, yeah, that's right, Russia. I mean, <laughs> what, Russia is, is, is a very oppressive country. My gosh, China, the same way. In fact, you go throughout the world today. China, North Korea the Middle Eastern countries, Russia. And then there's a growing wave of this in Central America and South America as communism continues to roll across those lands. There's no free speech. Good free speech laws in an anti-free speech culture equals censorship and cancellation. In other words, you can have the best laws in the world like we do, the right to free speech. But we have a growing anti-free speech culture that's being aided and abetted by media, by our schools, by celebrities, by an overall woke culture, and that's equaling censorship. It's equaling cancellation. Lives are being ruined. A healthy free speech culture, on the other hand, acknowledges that knowing the world as it is requires knowing people as they are and what they really think. You see, it's very important to know even the bad ideas in a society. I want to know what the other team's thinking because that way 
I can, one, do research on what they have to say to see if there's any merit. And two, it makes my position even stronger at the end of the day. Listen, I don't want to follow the herd. You don't want to follow the herd. That's why you're listening to this podcast. So if you don't want to follow the herd, you need to know what the herd really thinks. And therein lies the utility of free speech in all its forms. All human expression, whether it's true, untrue, contains information about the world as it is and human beliefs as they are. So censoring and sending underground the ideas you don't like doesn't make them go away. They're still there. The free speech culture ensures that expression is maximized and therefore our knowledge of the world and our fellow citizens is too. It gives us an opportunity to learn about ourselves in profound and sometimes uncomfortable ways. And free speech must be protected at all costs, lest we lose touch with the true landscape of ideas and find ourselves drowning in pseudo-freedom. How can our current culture maintain free speech when upcoming generations are dubious about its value? I'm thinking of millennials, Gen Z, Gen, uh, younger millennials, Gen Z, Gen X. Their views on free speech have been so tweaked due to the indoctrination process that they've undergone throughout their schooling, K through 12, college, what they see on the media various forms of media, including TikTok and Instagram. This woke culture that's just got them scooped up and wrapped up in a ball. You know, if the schools we entrust to teach our future voters and our future leaders inculcate a distaste for free speech, how can we expect our legal freedoms to withstand this cultural assault? Because that's what it is. It's a cultural assault. So that gets us to a Twitter exchange that I had earlier this week. You know, it's interesting. I got into talk radio after being in television for 20 years. Most people in television, uh, they have very thin skin. Boy, they, they don't react well to negative criticism, be it the, the tie they're, the guy's wearing or the dress the woman's wearing or the hairdos or something they said or an opinion they, they offered during the course of a, a talk back, boy, they just have thin skin. But then you get into the world of talk radio, which, is I, which I transferred to, and I was perfect for it because I didn't really care what people had to say about me. And that's, that's the kind of clothing you have to wear in talk radio. It has to be bulletproof. You can't care what people are saying. You have an opinion. You hold that opinion strongly, close to your heart, and you're going to share it. And if it offends someone, so be it. Now, my contention is this. If you're offended by criticism, then maybe you need to look to see if what you're saying really holds water. You know, when I talk about the Constitution, I have such strong feelings about its viability that I don't get offended when a communist attacks it. It's the same thing with the climate agenda. I have such strong feelings based on research, based on fact, based on truth, that when I'm attacked by someone who believes in this climate agenda, I don't get offended. And by the way, I don't hate them either. Even when they viciously attack me, 
Life's too short for that kind of attitude. Hate, anger. When you see people get angry when they're putting forward an idea, when you see someone get angry when that idea is attacked, when you see somebody get angry when there's criticism, it tells me they're losing. Winners don't need to get angry. Losers are the ones who get angry. Think about it in, in football games. Oftentimes the team's getting beaten badly. Sporting events at large, somebody's getting beaten badly and there's that one guy who's had enough, team's getting beat, he's embarrassed, and he lashes out and suddenly a fight starts. The only exception to this would be Draymond Green from the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> they can be winning and he'll lash out. <laughs> Just <laughs> smack somebody. <laughs> Draymond, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I believe you're probably a really nice guy, but you need to get a grip on that. So I'm on Twitter uh, the other day and Twitter, my, I had a robust Twitter account many years ago, but that went bye-bye. Uh, we have a new owner of Twitter, Elon Musk. I was able to find an old Twitter account that I rarely used that is now my main handle. It's a provocative title. It's Debate Me Al Gore. So please follow me on Twitter, Debate Me Al Gore. That's the account I was using when I commented on a climate scientist who I had written about many years ago in my book, Climategate. His name is Dr. Michael Mann. And Professor Mann um, is the guy who was brought in, as I explain in the book, Climategate. You can go online and read about the Climategate email scandal. But the bottom line is Professor Mann was the guy that was brought in to do this number crunching, stupefying exercise in mathematics to flatten out something called the medieval warm period. It was a period of time between like 10,000 and four, uh, excuse me, 1,000 and 1,400 AD where the temperatures were clearly a couple degrees warmer than today. You can see it in, in little things like, for example, tree lines. Go to the highest peaks around the world and look at the tree line and you'll notice in almost every instance, wow, there appear to be some ancient tree stumps above the present tree line indicating temperatures were much warmer way back then. Or things like this. There was a time, you can read about it in history, where England produced wonderful wine grapes. They were comparable to those produced in, in Germany and France. They can't do that any longer. It's too cold. The Vikings were running their operations out of Greenland when they were pillaging and plundering uh, the planet. Uh, couldn't do that anymore. It's too cold in Greenland. But Michael Mann was able to get rid of the medieval warm period and create a graph. It's the graph presently used that shows temperatures throughout history ebbing and flowing, ebbing and flowing. And then 1930, like a rocket ship. So I'm looking at his Twitter feed and man, this guy is angry. He, he's, he's viciously angry. Here's what he said December 30th, January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd. I don't know what he said after that because I was blocked. I was looking at his site and then responding on my own Twitter site. And he found out about this and he blocked me. Here's what he said. January 3rd, you can't negotiate it with evil. You must defeat it and destroy it. So anyone evil is someone who doesn't believe in anthropogenic global warming. He said, I love it when trolls reply to my tweets. I hide their comments so nobody sees it while lowering their Twitter rating by muting, blocking, and reporting them. It's one of the small pleasures in life. 
He said the American right is engaged in open war and democracy and decency in close collaboration with Russia and an affiliated network of fascist and authoritarian regimes. They are a threat to you and all that's dear to you. You could destroy them at the ballot box this year. Destroy. Evil. Defeat. Well, first of all, the American right, I think that would be me, is engaged in an open war on democracy. Listen, democracy is mobocracy. I believe in a representative republic where there are elements of democracy. It's not a pure democracy here. Pure democracies are what you find in Russia, what you find in North Korea, what you find in China, what you find in Turkey, what you find in authoritarian countries, what you find in communist countries. But this is how he rolls. Trump and his followers are domestic terrorists and must be treated as such. Another tweet from January 2. So I'm thinking, because in the world of climate science, sometimes approximations have to be made, sometimes estimations have to be made. For example, as I've mentioned before, uh, climate models can't handle the greenhouse effect. They can't handle water vapor. They don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to properly input water vapor into the climate models. We don't know how to properly input cloud cover into the climate models. So researchers estimate. So a guy like Michael Mann could say, well, okay, estimate. If I'm estimating it like this, we can really tweak the models to prove that there's global warming or climate change and something needs to be done about it. So I was blocked. Listen, this is how authoritarians throughout history have played ball. They censor you. It's the cancer cult. It's the cancer culture. The, 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 the cancer, excuse me, the cancel culture, which is like a cancer. In my upcoming book, Climate Cult, I make a very, very strong case to reveal how activists pushing this agenda, including Michael Mann, possess a moral compass whereby the end justifies the means. In other words, they will do and say whatever it takes to defeat and destroy the enemy. And who is their adversary? Well, it's, it's not big oil. It's not even capitalism. Their enemy are the inalienable, God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is, of course, property ownership, both physical and intellectual. And they believe the United States of America needs a reset in the name of a new era of government-aided social justice and social equity, an envisioned new age where winners and losers will be chosen by the levers of state and societal peer pressure. And by the way, in their envisioned new world, there is no room, no room for objectors or naysayers. And that's why, my friends, we need to work hard to bring forward a culture of free speech. Otherwise, this nation is doomed. We need a free speech culture. It's the antidote to the cancel culture. And we need to embrace new sayings. Just because you hate someone doesn't mean they're wrong. And just because I disagree with you, I don't hate you. I just hate what you're saying. And we know this, thanks to polling, most Americans oppose cancel culture. So there is hope. But we need to be vocal about this. We need to be kind and compassionate and loving about this. We need to do our research, get squared away, and therefore articulate our position with confidence. And that's what I hope I've been able to encourage you to do 
in this podcast of The Brian Sussman Show today. If you enjoyed this, please like, please share, please subscribe on audio or video. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. And I look forward to being with you next time. God bless you, my friends. May 2024 be a year of wonderful health and wonderful prosperity for you and yours. Again, God bless you.